At a meeting of our conference pastors last year, we had the privilege of hearing a lecture by Dr. John Brunt, former professor of New Testament at Walla Walla University, recent retired, recently retired from the pastorate at Edmonds, and he has been a guest here at this church as well. In his talk, John challenged us to use creative ways to give scripture primacy of place in our worship services. Every word is one of the ways that we do that. But in particular, he suggested to occasionally have a worship service using only the reading of scripture instead of a sermon. This morning, we're going to do just that. I've chosen the book of Esther because a full reading takes only about 40 minutes. We'll do it today because this is the Sabbath that many Jews will be celebrating the Feast of Purim, which came about as a result of the events recorded in this book. Jews celebrate Purim by publicly reading the book of Esther twice, once on Friday night and then again on Sabbath morning. Purim is intended to be an occasion of joy and happiness because it commemorates how in the ancient Persian Empire, God miraculously intervened to save his people from being annihilated. It's a joyful feast. So I think if you will relax and lower your level of self-consciousness a little bit, in other words, if you will really participate, we're going to have some fun with this. Purim requires the drinking of wine. In biblical times, uh, wine is symbolic of a number of things, but during Purim, wine represents the joy of deliverance, and it's intended to lend dignity and importance to the occasion. We're not going to drink alcoholic wine here this morning, as the Jews do at Purim, but we are going to drink new wine as we celebrate. The deacons right now are going to give each of you uh, a, a small bottle of grape juice, and we will sip it together as we hear the story. Deacons, would you please distribute that? Where are the deacons? Joseph, go out and get them. <laughs> They're supposed to be passing it out. All right, good. Now, I have Jay's express permission that we can drink this in this room today. Okay? I asked her, I said, you have any problem with this? She said, absolutely not. Bring it in, hand it out. Come on, we've got we to gotta move. I'm going to ask you to be careful, though. Try not to spill any. If you're not drinking at the time, keep the lid on, all right? We've got 84 bottles. That's enough for one for everybody. There are absolutely no small bottles of grape juice left, grape juice left in any store in Squim or Port Angeles because I bought them all this week so that we could enjoy them this morning here, all right? So we're just going to hold for a second until you've got them all passed out. Everybody get one. Pass them out. If you don't have one, put your hand up. Okay. If you don't have one, put your hand up. I've even got one up here. So, we've got the book of Esther, 
and we've got the new wine. If you don't have it, keep your hand up. But there's more, all right? And here's where you're going to have to loosen up a little bit. If we were drinking old wine today, you would naturally loosen up. But uh, we're not, so you're just going to have to make a choice to do it, all right? Not every Jewish congregations do this, but some of them do. And we're going to give it a try because it's going to help us get into the spirit of the thing and will help us to keep from going to sleep after we drink this high, highly concentrated sugar grape juice. During the reading, every time you hear one of the readers say the name Esther, I want you to cheer. Right? Esther is the heroine of the story, and we're going to cheer for her. So... From this moment on, if I or any of the readers say, Esther, you cheer. All right? Yeah. We're going to try it again. I'm going to say, Esther. Yeah. Right. And you're going to hear that name 47 times. Right. There's also an anti-villain in the story. His name is Haman. Guess what you're going to do when you hear the name Haman? That's it. Yeah. And uh, I want you to do it. As if you just learned that Russell Wilson had been traded to Colorado, to Denver, all right? Boo! And just like Esther's name is mentioned, you missed it, you missed it. Just like Esther's name is mentioned 47 times, Haman's name is mentioned 47 times. So that's it. I think you're ready to hear the story. We're going to do it reader's theater style, which means our readers will act out the parts using only the expression in their voices. It's like listening to a radio drama. So readers, I'm going to call your name and I'm going to introduce them in the order of their appearance. Bill Needham is going to read the part of King Xerxes. And Doug Woods is going to read the parts of all the king's servants. So Doug, come up. And Michael Smith is going to read the part of Haman. And Rachel Morris is going to read the part of Esther. Now, Walter Grant is going to read Mordecai's part. Mordecai only speaks once in the book of Esther, but it is, as many scholars believe, the critical verse. It is the critical verse in the book of Esther. So when Walter speaks, make sure you listen. And then finally, um, Sherry Bly is going to read the part of Zeresh, who is the wife of Haman. All right. So from this point on, it's going to be only the words of Scripture. We're going to do it in the, the NIV. We will read the complete book. As you listen, I want you to think about how God works to thwart the, the, the plans of the enemy. And even though he's never mentioned by name, how he intervenes in miraculous ways to save his people. Okay? So, uncap your juice if you haven't done it already. Get ready with your boos and yays, and uh, here we go. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. 
At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of pofri, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zether, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matter of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king, Karshina, Shether, Admatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marcina, and Mimucan, the seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? She has not obeyed the command of the king Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Mamukin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles. Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. 
Then, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands, from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice, so the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household, using his native tongue. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegei, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided Esther with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place of the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfume and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there, and in the morning, return to another part of the harem to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. 
when the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any other woman, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with liberality. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, that is, the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. 
Then Haman said to King Xerxes, Your majesty, there is a certain people dispersed among all the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money and do as you please with the people. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces, and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. 
Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Just don't think because you are in the king's house, only you of all the Jews will escape. Because if you don't say anything now, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from somewhere else. But you and your father's family will die. Who knows but what you are in this royal position for such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of his scepter. Then the king asked, What what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even to the half of the kingdom it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, so that we may do as Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, 
Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And, and, and that's not all. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited Yay. to accompany the king to the banquet that she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, Ooh. and he had the pole set up. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the chronicles of the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. The king asked, uh, What honor or recognition has Mordecai received for this? Uh, nothing, your majesty, has been done for him. Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in. When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done to the man who delights, the king delights to honor? Now, Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king. Oh, your majesty, for the king, for the man the king delights to honor, uh, let's see, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a, and a horse the king has ridden, uh, one with the royal crest on its head. And then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes let them robe the man the king delights to honor, and then lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king desires to honor. Go at once, Haman, and get the robe and the horse, and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback throughout the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, 
the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Who is he? Where, where is he, the man that dared to do such a thing? An adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. <laughs> then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will you even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by the house of Haman. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther. And she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther. And they have impaled him on the pole he set up. 
Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder their property of the enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers, riding the royal horses, went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed 
Parshandatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adaliah, Eridatha, Parmasheta, Arisai, Aridai, and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will be granted. If it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. And let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded, and it was done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and to get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That's why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and of giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word poor. 
because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So, Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim as their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to the times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. And that's it. That's the book of Esther. We're going to sing as we close a song that celebrates the goodness of God and that he will do for us just as he did for Esther. Let's give these guys a hand for their, their work.